at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Glad to be up here and having the opportunity to open the bread of life with you today. God's word as we end our series on the faithfulness of God in the city. Um, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for watching over us in our going out and our coming forth wherever we are, wherever we go. We thank you that you always um, share your love upon us. We thank you, Father, now even uh, that we have a chance to gather inside this building where you've called us to. We pray in your name that you will come and speak to us through your words. In your name we pray. Amen. So we want to talk about this morning, compassion in the city. And when we think of compassion, maybe you think, like I think, I think about the needs of others. There are many needs that we have in our city of Washington, D.C. As we go about in our, in our homes and, and go about in our work, we see the needs all around. But we also see the needs within our own hearts. Uh, maybe some of you can remember of friends or family or someone in your life that you 
had close encounters with that have had needs. We just heard from Mary Catherine and Elizabeth about how they walked with these students, showing lots of compassion towards them and this church over the years. That's a privilege. I remember being in college even and running into a friend named Randy. Randy was born uh, with some sort of palsy where he couldn't extend his legs, so he was bound to a wheelchair. And as I grew with my friend Randy, uh, there were some things that he needed, some things that I could provide for him. And I gladly did that because we grew in our relationship together. But see, I needed something more than Randy needed. I needed a meal plan which I didn't have in college at the time. I couldn't afford it. And so what he did, he graciously shared his with me. And our relationship was not based on that transaction because it brought me joy just to spend time with him. He was a really cool dude. Uh, he had a lot of interest and he loved technology. I learned so much from Randy. Uh, but Randy shared with me a story about his life and how growing up it was it was difficult. You know, he had a twin brother uh, who was not bound by a wheelchair, and he also went to church with some people that wanted to declare him as being healed and and uh, the ability to walk. And it didn't happen, and it broke his heart. And when people began to share the gospel with Randy in college, he said, I didn't know about God because when I would go to church with friends and people would speak over me and, and pronounce healing, it didn't happen. So he became disappointed and disappointed and more disappointed as the years went by. But God didn't give up on Randy. God shared his compassion to open his ears and his mind to the gospel of grace. And he became a believer and began to grow in his relationship with God. So I thank God for uh, friends like that who seek to give even in their position. We all are in positions like that, aren't we? We are uh, those that can share need, but we are mostly needy. We're mostly needy because this is what we have faced in the world. We face sin and we face suffering. And with this sin and suffering, contrary to what we may believe at times, God does not shrink back away from us. But because of this sin and suffering, God comes towards us to show his compassion. He comes towards us to, to show he, that he cherishes mankind. So we cannot speak, you know, in our own authority in terms of what we can do because we see our great need for God. We see our great need for the God who is indeed compassionate. We see our need for the God, as it says here in the text, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the forefathers of the people of God. We see the God who glorified his son, Jesus, when he was betrayed and put to death. So God speaks of himself as being the compassionate God. We see this in Exodus 34, as he proclaimed his name to Moses, as he passed by him. He said that he is a God who is merciful, and that word means compassion. So already we begin to get a sense 
Even with the word mercy that we've heard over and over again, this is the same word for compassion throughout scripture. So we begin to see that throughout God's word that he's always been moving towards humanity with this compassionate heart because this is who he is, the God of compassion. And we see this in Jesus as he speaks to the rulers of his day. He tells them what God desires, mercy, compassion, not sacrifice as they thought that they should do something right to earn God's favor, do what the scriptures speak in order to get close to God, to win favor with God. Jesus says, no, it's mercy. I desire compassionate hearts because a compassionate heart reflect the heart of the father. He's the compassionate one. And Jesus, even in his teachings, we understand that Jesus went throughout the cities of his time. And he, Jesus went throughout the villages. He went throughout these places teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And the scripture says in Matthew 9 that he, he healed every disease and every affliction. People were lined up day by day coming to Jesus and he healed them. Vast crowds of people coming to him with all of their needs that only he could handle. And so here they come, coming to Jesus with their infirmities, with their diseases, with, with, with their inabilities, and Jesus heals them from it. And when Jesus sees the crowds, he has compassion for them. He's moved in the center of his being. He's moved in his bowels towards people. He is sensitive to them. Why is he moved so? Because they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The rulers of the day, they weren't moving towards the people with the compassion of God. Instead, they were putting heavy loads on the people of God and not lifting them, not lifting them burdens. So Jesus recognized this, that they were needy, that they were mistreated, that they were helpless in their estate. And he began to move towards them with compassion. And he said something of compassion when he said this to the disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest field. There he is encouraging his disciples to begin with a compassionate heart through prayer. Praying to him, asking that he will provide something that they couldn't, that he will provide for the people in a way that he only could. What is compassion? Compassion is God's care for humans and how he moves towards them with a tender attitude of concern and mercy. One uh, sociologist Brene Brown, you may have heard of her. She studied compassion. She says compassion is the daily practice of recognizing and accepting our shared humanity so that we treat ourselves and others with loving kindness and we take action in the face of suffering. I think we do get the idea of, the, of recognizing and accepting our shared humanity in the city. We are on top of each other. We see each other on the streets. But it's how we treat each other 
that we have to tune into? Are we treating each other with the love and kindness of God? And then even further, do we take action when we see? It's one thing to see and recognize it. Another thing to see our own hearts and see how we're moving towards people and then taking action and, and indeed moving in the face of suffering. Compassion shares in the burdens and the suffering of others. Another way of putting it, as theologian uh, Daryl Bach says, compassion expresses itself in service to others and meeting their needs. Everywhere we turn in scripture and in the public square, the compassion is understood as meeting the needs of others. This is the very heart of God. We see that God is a God of common grace. Common grace is his care to all that he has made. This is God's promise. But just wherever we see God's grace to all that he has made, we also see his compassion to all that he has made as well. So there's a common compassion with which God moves towards everything that has its being in him. For he's the father of all. And God loves to move towards his creatures with this type of compassion. He will not stop displaying his compassion to his creation, to his especially sons and daughters in the world, those who have, he's made promise to that we are his. And all of us are touched by the decay of the world. And all of us are touched in some way by the pain of the world. To where Paul says in Romans 1 that creation groans. We all groan for the adoption of the sons of God. That we would come into in the fullness of who we are when Christ returns. That we would enter into this eternal compassion in Christ. And even as we do recognize our need, our vulnerabilities, and the great evil that's in the world, this is what God encourages and tells us to do. Hate what is evil. Love what is good. When we think about the senseless shootings, when we think about racial discrimination, when we think about inequalities of different kinds, persecution, when we think about oppression in the world, we must hate that which is evil. Strong language coming from God. Because sometimes it's a temptation to think, I'm supposed to hate it, therefore I must make someone else pay. No, we can't move beyond God's vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But what he gives us to do is to love that which is good. His image bearers are good because he says so. Perfect, no. But there's still goodness in the world. And how does he want us to move towards his people in the world? With compassion. With compassion. Showing compassion. Being like God in the world. Being like God in our ability to be merciful. And this is what is illustrated here in our passage today. As we see this compassion that is expected in the life of the people during that time. And it's also experienced. And then we see Peter stands up eventually and he expresses compassion in the gospel of grace. This compassion is expected in their day. We see this 
in uh, verses 1 and 2, where this is the setting that uh, Luke paints of what's going on. He says they are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, three o'clock in the afternoon. And as Peter and John do their common practice, as the apostles should do, right, going up and praying for the people uh, at the temple, praying for themselves, there was a lame man from birth being carried to the beautiful gate, this gate where people would enter in, where people would go into the temple day by day. And he was there because he had great need. So he was lame, perhaps in his ankle and his feet from, from, from birth, it says. And so there he lay asking for alms. And this idea for, of alms is one that the people recognize as being a spiritual practice of being compassionate, compassionate towards those in need. And so there, there he was, this troubled man, in this time of prayer at the temple, and the temple was supposed to be the place of great compassion, for this is where people went to indeed pray and meet with God. And so there's going to be a place where he will receive these alms, uh, this compassion through material, then this is the place he needs to be. And it was known that if you can't use your limbs in some kind of way during the, that time, that you should show compassion through giving materially to those that are in need. So he was there to collect alms from the worshipers. And we see this throughout the Bible even. In uh, Leviticus, we see that God encourages his people because there will be poor, the poor in the land to take care of them, to care for their needs in any way that they can, not to leave them destitute and desperate, but to move towards them. This is what God says in Leviticus 25. He says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner. And he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. God is saying, I want you to be like me and showing compassion like I showed towards you and saving you and delivering you and giving you everything that you need. So when you look at your brother, he's indeed your brother. And if he doesn't have needs, then that's your brother. So you supply what is needed to your brother. This is how God moves us towards having compassion towards those who respect it. Now, it's so difficult Go into Yes Organic, and there's somebody right outside. And sometimes it seems like I don't know what to do with it. You know, maybe you're like me. You see someone who's asking for alms, charity, right there at the door, and it kind of feels like they're getting in your way a little bit. You know, they want to open the door for you. 
so that when you go in, you know, they've done something for you, and then when you come out, you give them something. It's this transaction. I recognize the transaction, but one thing that God encourages us to do, that if someone is in need, help them. Give them what they ask for. And that's so difficult in our day and age because there are people, perhaps, who want to take advantage of the kindness of a stranger. But you see, the thing about the heart is we have to ask God, what shall we do in those situations? How does he want us to move towards people in our city with great need? When it feels fishy, what to do in those situations? Because God doesn't want us to become embittered or cynical or casting the person away or diverting the eyes away from them. No, he wants us to move towards them, to, to be those that see compassion. And that's what we see here. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, the lame man asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He gave him a command. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something, as he should, expect to receive something. But there's something more in store. So it's great. He recognized them. He must have diverted his eyes. And Peter saw him and commanded him to look at them. To me, as I look at this, I'm like, what, what great dignifying act of mercy. Look at us. We see you. You see us. You need to see our face. You're our brother in the land. You have intrinsic dignity because you're an image bearer of God. Look at us. We see you. Let's not pretend as if we don't see each other, as if there's not a greater need here uh, for you as it is for us. Pay attention. Fix your eyes on us. Again, Brene Brown says this about compassion. Compassion is fueled by understanding and accepting that we're all made of strength and struggle. No one is immune to pain or suffering. Compassion is not a practice of better than or I can fix you. It's a practice based in the beauty and pain of shared humanity. The man is asking for alms, making his request of anyone who passed by. So he's invited to come in even closer versus being in distant from Peter and John, to come closer, to look into their souls, to look and see who they truly are. There may be expectations that we have, even in our relationships. We're needy people, right? Think about marriage. Some of you are married in here. And there's always the talk of expectation. What are the expectations for where to live and the dreams that you may have? What are the expectations for how you will communicate? You come from two different backgrounds and households. Of course, expectations will be big, huge. What are the expectations when you hurt one another? And this can be in any relationship, right? 
What are the expectations here? What are we deciding together? What is the compromise? No matter what the compromise is or the expectation, we've been called to move with compassion towards one another. That is what we should expect from one another, not criticism from each other. Well, you said this thing, now I'm coming to bat and defending myself and straightening you out. No, you said this thing and I'm, now I'm coming back with what I think. I'm not even listening anymore because I'm thinking about, you know, my rebuttal. Oh man, relationships were hard, right? Relationships with roommates, you know? You left the dishes again in the sink. It's like, who's going to wash them this time? Okay, I'll do it this time, but, you know, you need to do it next time. What's the expectation? Compassion. Sometimes it's a simple conversation of putting down the weapons that you may come against each other with. Sometimes it's not making the excuses, but it's saying, okay, yes, I'll do it. Reset. Let's go. Let's decide how we're going to do this by being compassionate towards each other, showing the mercy of God uh, towards each other, really listening to each other. And there are some things indeed that keep us sinners and sufferings from not expecting compassion from one another. Perhaps it's uh, just not coming to terms with the gospel in our own hearts day by day. Sometimes it's, you know, just sort of like just casting my burdens on others and expecting everybody else to meet my needs. Sometimes it's maybe the selfishness of heart, uh, doing the deeds that I may do so that others can see me and congratulate me and I get the credit for this neat idea. Uh, other times it's just wanting to be important, Right? Uh, these things keep us from not expecting compassion and keeps us in a way of trans transaction towards one another. They hinder us even from coming to God himself to see how much we need his compassion. Other times it's fatigue. Fatigue is weariness. It's losing motivation and continuing a desirable pattern of conduct or activity. Compassion fatigue is a real thing because compassion, compassion and fatigue comes in the context of you want to do this thing. You want to help people. You enjoy volunteering. You want to give your time freely. It brings you joy. But com compassion fatigue is characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion, leading to an inability to empathize after a while or feel compassion for others. Just tired emotionally, tired physically. Maybe some of you guys are there right now. You're experiencing this weariness in doing good, and you just don't know anymore which way to go. Well, one thing that we can do is come to the God of compassion. Come to him, drawing near to him. Because sometimes when we have this sort of fatigue about us, we try to figure it out on our own. What must I do? I, I don't want to let God down because I need to figure this out. You know, we treat him like he is indeed our father, right? And like, I'm the kid that I need to let, you know, show my father that I can do this. That's all cute and everything. But for compassion fatigue is a real thing. Maybe, maybe you're a person of color in here today and you are experiencing what is coined by Professor William Smith 
at the University of Utah, Utah as racial battle fatigue. He, he took time to study how mental and physical stress by people of color impacts them. How they face, as they face racism over and over again, how that brings them to a type of fatigue and hypervigilance. How it leads them maybe to fight against racism, maybe to flee, run away from it, or maybe just to fold all together and forfeit and just give up because they're so tired. No matter what the fatigue is, God says, do not become weary in doing good. So we need help and community to carry each other's burdens. But first, we need to come to grips with how much we need the compassion of God. He sees us. This is the expectation that we should have, that he's ready to show this type of compassion and mercy immediately to us. I go quickly here. Um, Compassion is experienced from God as well. Here's Peter. He responds to the lame man in verse 6. He says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Remember, this is someone who was lame from birth. Remember, growing up in his day, having to be carried everywhere. Remember him being a teenager, not being able to go as he want. Thankfully, he had some friends that would carry him, uh, maybe family, uh, to ask for money. But get in our minds like, this is radical. This, this is uh, resurrection life. This is new life for him. This changed everything for him. Silver and gold would not, would not do what Peter was able to do by the power of Jesus, by the name of Jesus, by the faith of Jesus. It cannot, material things cannot do the things of the type of healing and the miracles that were brought about for this guy this day. So no reason he began to leap all around and to rejoice and to praise God and to cause all this noise to where people looked and, looked and see that this is the man who was at the beautiful gate day in and day out asking for alms, asking for charity, asking for food, asking for something because he couldn't get up and work for himself. This is the man who was there. And as soon as they saw this miracle happen, of course, the human heart wants to praise man. They want to turn around and praise Peter and John. They want to say, you guys did this. We want to worship you. And Peter had to quickly turn around and correct them. And he spoke with them through the compassion expressed ver verbally. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us like we're somebody, like we've done something? As though by our own power and piety, we have made him walk. We have not done this. We cannot do this. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorify his servant, Jesus. This is the one you should look to and think about. Jesus is the one that you deliver over. You denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. The truth is hard to hear. But Peter is bringing it in a compassionate and graceful way because they need to hear it so they can be awake to who Jesus is and what he is doing here. And so he tells them, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. We are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And that because Jesus lives, this man is shown com great compassion. His circumstance is changed because of Jesus. Verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, Jesus, has made this man strong, whom you now see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. This is about Jesus. God is glorifying Jesus here. Is it Jesus' authority that brought about this healing indirectly through Peter? So Peter too can reap the joy of it. Jesus is the one who was raised from the dead by the same power that this man's situation was changed, by this healing that he got. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. God brought new life through Jesus in his situation. And he clung to Peter and to John. Now the text doesn't say whether or not he had faith to believe in Jesus and if he'd given his life to him at that point. But man, that sure is a lot of leaping and rejoicing in the name of Jesus. And perhaps this is why Peter had to stand up and, and let everyone know, no, don't look to me. Look to him. I am a man just like you are. But Jesus is the God man who's able to bring the compassion of God both now and forevermore. So we want to end here looking at the compassionate the compassion of God as the compassion that would bring healing in the city. As we remember in, in Revelation 21 that indeed that's the people of God or this, the city of God that's coming down from the new heavens to the new earth, the bride of Christ, the compassionate people of God. This is what Author and theologian Harry Nowen and his friends say in a little book on compassion about this new city. In the new city, God will live among us. But each time two or three gather in the name of Jesus, he's already in our midst. In the new city, all tears will be wiped away. But each time people eat bread and, and drink wine in his memory, smiles appear on strained faces. In the new city, the whole creation will be made new. But each time prison walls are broken down, poverty is dispelled, and wounds are carefully attended. The old earth is already given way to the new. Through compassionate action, the old is not just old anymore, and the pain is not just pain any longer. Although we are still waiting in expectation, 
the first signs of the new earth and the new heaven, which have been promised to us and for which we hope are already visible in the community of faith, where the compassionate God is revealed to us. This is the foundation of our faith, the basis of our hope and the source of our everlasting love. Friends, let us live through in the compassion of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Father, God, where else can we go but to you? Lord, this is your revelation to us, your very word. Bind it to our hearts and we, we may walk in it. And also, Father, help us to point to Jesus every chance we get. Because part of pointing to him is mean that we're spending time with him, which makes it all the more easier. We need you. Thank you for being here for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you now to stand and sing our song of response.
death until he comes. Every time you take communion, you are confessing, Jesus died for me, and Jesus is coming back for me. So in preparation for communion, sometimes it's good for us to confess our faith, to say out loud what it is that we believe that Jesus has done for us, who he is, and who our God who redeems us truly is. 